Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Prophet Isaiah, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house? as prisoners. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about prophecy um now there's the i've been doing this broadcast for nearly eight years now since 2014 and the main theme of the podcast at one point was just prophecy 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 and now it's rarely prophecy uh it's mostly bible study and people might wonder why, especially looking at the times we're living in, looking at the world that we're living in, why I don't do it as much as I used to. And there's a lot of reasons for it, uh, not all of which I have enough time to try to get in this morning. But I'll just say one of the reasons is, and I can't go into great detail about it uh, because I've only got 30 minutes to talk about what we need to talk about this morning, but one of the main reasons is, is because over the, over the years as I've studied the scriptures for myself and stopped, you know, in the beginning I was studying the scriptures, but I was also kind of regurgitating what the general belief was when it came to prophecy and what was being spoken of by all the YouTubers and all the books and everything, um, which was 99% based in a dispensational view of the end of times. As I've studied the scriptures for myself and actually read scripture in context and in light of history and those things, I've come to understand that a lot of this teaching, I would say 90% or more of what's taught today as it relates to prophecy from a dispensational point of view, which is really 
only been the point of view for about the last 50 years, maybe 70, but has really ramped up in the last 20 or 30. Most of it's just not even close to being accurate. Most of it's extraordinarily out of context. Most of it is really taking some long walks to make pet doctrines work. And a lot of, I've realized that a lot of what I've believed isn't what the Bible's teaching at all. Or we're making something about us that has nothing to do with us. Or we're taking something that's already happened, clearly documented in history, and we're, and we're twisting it. Or I run into the frustration that many of you probably run into with the YouTube prophets and so forth and so on. It's like every other week, what the prophecy means is changing, right? So instead of the Bible being the main lens that you view everything through and the world through, instead, it's like every new headline now changes Bible prophecy. So the mark of the beast is going to change every few years, what that looks like and what that is, as it has for 70 years. Antichrist, um, I mean, you pick a doctrine. Rapture dates and timelines, and it wasn't that Shemitah, now it's this Shemitah, and it wasn't that feast, it was now it's this feast, and most of you have probably run into that frustration yourself. Now, this is not to say that I do not believe we're living in the end and that the return of Christ is nigh. Of course, I believe that. But I think the way we're getting to that understanding a lot of the times is just wrong. With that said, there has been a couple of main themes. So now we're just going to transition here into what we're going to talk about today. There's been a couple of main themes that I've kind of seen that I've warned about since the beginning. And, you know, seven or eight years ago even, at least five years ago, a couple of the themes that I was warning about was, number one, watch out for the rise of artificial intelligence and genetic engineering, genetic modification specifically genetic modification of human beings and the implementation of artificial intelligence and that kind of stuff in the human body. That was, that's one of the big topics that we've talked about. And of course, we live in a time now where that's not even a weird conversation. When I was talking about it years ago, people kind of looked at it like I was just gibbering off some kind of fantasy, right? Well, now it's just mainstream talk. The other thing I talked a lot, I've talked a lot about over the years is the apostasy, the falling away of true Christianity, not the falling away of religion. There's plenty of religion. There's plenty of, of things that are dressed up as Christianity, but it's mostly apostasy, which is why I wrote the book faith and obedience in the end of days because it's there is nobody wants to talk about sin and repentance and those things anymore it's just about it's self-help it's it's self-love and 
what we're discovering through polls and other research is that a lot of people who claim to be Christians don't actually even really believe in a biblical worldview. There's been a great falling away from the truth. So these two things are kind of the topics for today. And look, I get it. We could be talking about just about anything. Uh, Food shortages, um, the intentional destruction of the food supply. I mean, the the list goes on and on. The reason why I don't, another reason why I don't do it that often anymore is because do you really need me to read you the headlines? I mean, at this point, who can't see that the world is disintegrating? I mean, you. I don't understand why people need someone to point this out anymore. Obviously. So the main message that I focus my work on is just the scriptures and the gospel. Because at this point, it's just about reaching souls. Because I don't see how we can put things in reverse when the vehicle, so to speak, is already driven off the cliff. Right? It's like it's already in a it's already falling, free falling at this point. It, you, you can't put it in reverse, in my opinion. So I'm focusing on what I can, which is not, hey, let's constantly focus on all the bad news. Yeah, we all see it. Rather, let's deepen our understanding about Jesus. Let's deepen our understanding about the kingdom of God. Let's have a deeper understanding about what our responsibility is right now, which is not to hide in a bunker with beans. So, now we only have about 18 minutes to talk about our topic today. Uh, Let me read you just a couple of headlines. I'm not going to dig into the actual articles. I just want to kind of set the stage. Uh, We're going to read 2 Thessalonians here. Starting with the falling away. Here's a couple of headlines. According to a poll... Only 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. 37%. We can just call that 40. We can almost call it half. It's not quite half, but really close, right? Of people leading churches, according to polls, they, they don't actually have a biblical worldview. That's pretty problematic. Nearly 40% of Generation Z adults believe that Jesus was not sinless. Not quite half, right? But close. They don't even really understand who Christ is. There's been an unprecedented drop, according to polls, in the number of Americans that actually read their Bible in the past 12 months. There has been an unprecedented drop in the number of Bible users in the United States since the last year, according to a report released by the American Bible Society. 2022, the State of the Bible Report released Wednesday based on its findings and a response collected from a survey where they surveyed a little over 2,500 adults. And the survey just kind of asked Americans a variety of questions about their biblical uses. And the report also highlights changes in the percentage of Bible usage users in U.S. over time. And it goes in kind of the numbers. The point is, it's declining. 
So we have a massive decline in society of people who actually understand who Jesus is. Almost half, well, it's 40%, but it's closer to half than not, of Gen Z adults don't even believe that Jesus was sinless. Almost half, not quite half, but close, of pastors don't even have a biblical worldview. Here's an interesting article. The collapse of Christian worldview by parents has greatly impacted the next generation. You know, we've really had a generation of parents who've just put their head in the sand, pretended like things weren't happening, hadn't taught their kids about Christ because they just assumed that they they were going to get whisked away, rapture was going to happen, or... And so they haven't prepared their kids for the future, nor have they fought against the evil that's been building up for the last 20 or 30 years. They've just allowed it. Oh, well. And then the other part of it is they just haven't cared enough about the truth to actually teach it to their kids. Let me just see if I let me just read a little bit of this article and see if it takes us anywhere interesting. Kids these days are shaped by watching their parents. That's the takeaway from the cultural research at Arizona Christian University. Young children are watching their parents. They're listening to their parents and they're trying to put those two things together. The problem is they're seeing a contradiction between word and deed. The conclusion we discovered that children draw is what a shame. My parents seem confused as I am. So this faith that they're talking about must not have the answers. The statistics are appalling. Among American parents of children under the age of 13, only 2% have a biblical worldview. And even among self-identified born-again Christians, the number is only 8%. Between 15 to 18 months of age is when most children start forming their worldview, explained Barna on the Washington Watch. By the age of 13, it's almost completely in place. Barna's worldview research discerns the presence of biblical worldview with questions about biblical inerrancy, the character of God, the life of Christ, and absolute moral truth and salvation by faith. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Long story short... Parents, number one, aren't teaching it. Even the Christian parents aren't teaching it, and then they're not living it out in front of their kids. So children go off to public indoctrination school, and it's over, right? A great falling away. I'm worried I'm going to run out of time. Let's go to Second Thessalonians real quick, and I'm not going to be able to do it the justice that I wanted to. We're going to read it starting with verse 1. Why? Because text without context is a pretext to make it mean whatever you want. So let's take it verse by verse. Put on our brains. Put away our pet doctrines. And just let the word mean what it means. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Okay, so right out of the gate, what's Paul going to be talking about? What's the subject? He's talking to the church of Thessalonians. 
we're going to have a discussion about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. Right? So he's likely, I mean, it's pretty clear what he's talking about. I don't even have to say likely. He's talking about our gathering to him and his return, the resurrection of the dead first, then those of us who are alive and remain. Right? It's very obvious. Verse 2. Now we're going to talk about why we're talking about this. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So he's saying, we're going to have a conversation about the return of Christ and our gathering to him, so that you're not confused, because apparently somebody's stirring up some trouble, or writing fake letters as if it's Paul, according to what he's saying here, saying that this has already happened. Okay? So, Let's have a conversation about the return of Christ and our gathering to him because apparently there's some confusion among you. Some of you think that maybe the resurrection's already happened and you've missed it or, or something's already taken place. All right, so we're going to clear the air about that. We don't want you to be deceived by these false prophets. Verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Okay, very clear. Don't be confused that the return of Christ and our gathering to him has already happened. Don't let anybody deceive you about that. Here's how it works. That's not going to happen until two things. Number one, there's going to be a falling away first, apostasy. Now, a lot of dispensational teachers who have to make their pet doctrines work really get stupid with this verse and try to make the apostasy, which everyone with two brain cells to rub together knows it's talking about a falling away from the faith. Every great commentator, it's, it's just obvious. But they're trying to act like this is the rapture, which wouldn't even make sense with the context of the conversation. Would Paul say, here, I'm going to tell you about the rapture, our gathering to Christ, the ra- the rapture won't happen until the rapture happens. I mean, that's what we'd have to say if that's what that means. That day, the rapture will not come until the rapture, and then the man of sin is revealed. That makes no sense, does it? As it shouldn't make any sense because that's obviously not what it's saying. There's going to be a falling away first, a great apostasy from the faith, and so there's two things: that man of sin revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, there's a massive confusion about the term Antichrist because of dispensational end-time teaching. There's a video that was sent to me by a listener called Antichrist the man of sin and the falling away by somebody named pastor Chuck Baldwin. I'm not familiar with him, but I did watch the video. And while I disagree with his take on second Thessalonians a little bit, 
his bit on Antichrist and how that's just grossly abused and misused by modern-day Bible teachers is spot on. And I'll try to put a link uh, in the description. You can watch it yourself. But he argues that this man of sin that's being talked about is talking about Satan. And I just read to you to start the show from the book of Isaiah, where it talks about Satan trying to exalt himself above God and showing him, you know, trying to become God. And um, as a result, at some point, it's going to be revealed who he is, right? And the nations will say, well, here's, let me just read it. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon, this is from the book of Isaiah, shall look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world a wilderness and destroyed the cities, and that opened not the house of his prisoners? Like There's going to be a time when it's revealed to us who he is, and we're going to be like, Really? This is the one? This is the being that did all this terrible deception? Now, I happen to think that there's a possibility that this is talking about a man. I disagree with the modern-day understanding of Antichrist. But I do think that this is possibly talking about a man, but specifically a man possessed by Satan himself. The reason is because of a phrase that Paul uses. The, so, and that, that man of sin, the son of perdition. Now, there's, one, there's only one other use of the son of perdition. If we go to, and it's talking about Judas, who was literally possessed by Satan, right? If you go to Luke chapter 22, verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Scarlet, Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Then Jesus, talking about this situation, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, he says, and he's praying, and he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, talking about his disciples, and I come to thee. He's praying for his disciples. Holy Father, keep through thy own name those who thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Though Those that thou gavest me, I kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So he calls Judas, the one who was possessed by Satan, to do what he did, the son of perdition. Paul knows this story, uses the same terminology. So Paul's saying, don't worry, it hasn't happened. It won't happen until you see the great falling away. Or a falling away, really. I said great falling away, but that's not what Paul says. He says a falling away first, an apostasy, and the man of sin revealed. Who is the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that 
He, as God, sitteth in the temple, showing himself that he is God. By the way, in the New Testament, whenever it's talking about the temple of God, what is what are we talking about? It's almost always talking about the body, not a building. That doesn't mean that this isn't talking about a building. Maybe it is. But it's worth acknowledging that over and over and over the scriptures in the letters of the apostles and even Jesus talks about how the body is the temple of God. Why? Because because of what Christ did for us, now Holy Spirit dwells within us, right? We have become the temple. Which just further lends to why I think that this is literally talking about possibly a possession of Satan. Verse 5, Paul says, Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. He's like, you guys have been getting all riled up, confused about this stuff, even though I've already explained it to you. Verse 6, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So he'll, he'll be revealed in his time. And maybe this pastor, Chuck Baldwin, is right in that this is just talking about there'll be a falling away. Christ will return and he'll reveal Satan to us. You say, but that doesn't fit my end times pet doctrines. Well, so what? Put your pet doctrines aside and just let the scriptures say what they say. I'm not saying that's how it is. I'm saying we should consider that as a possibility. Maybe it's talking about a literal ruler, a man who causes trouble, who's possessed by Satan. Or maybe when Christ returns... After this falling away, he'll reveal who Satan is. Or maybe it's both. And then the nations, like what's talking about in Isaiah, will look at him and go, really, this is the guy? Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then that wicked, capital W, and then that wicked, the context is we're still talking about this son of perdition will be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh Oh, he said he's look at look, look at the context. When Christ returns, that wicked's going to be revealed and he's going to be consumed with the spirit of his mouth talking about the Lord. And how shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. With all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. So who's he deceiving? He's deceiving the unrighteous, those who are going to perish. What does the scripture say? The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So it says, so the ones who are being deceived are those who have received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So they, they, they've rejected the gospel. And for this cause, what cause? That they've been deceived with unrighteousness and they've rejected the truth. For that cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they should, that 
they may all that they all might be damned who believe not the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there's a great lie coming, a great delusion, a great deception. It's going to come upon the people who are perishing because they've loved not the truth. They've believed not the truth. They've rejected the gospel. Now, whoever the son of perdition is, apparently he's going to have the workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Master of deception. I've only got a few minutes, but we got to go to Revelation 13 for just a minute. Obviously, in five minutes, I can't unpack all this, but it's to give us just a little bit more, okay? I should also note that it's very possible that what John is describing in chapter 13 was dealing with the Roman Empire of his time, the beast of his time. However, what we discover with scriptures, there's a lot of times when we're dealing with prophecy, there's multiple fulfillments. I mean, think about the abomination of desolation. You go back, you have a Greek king who came in and slaughtered a pig on the altar and sacrificed it to Zeus. You also have a scenario in 70 AD when the Romans came in and desecrated the temple. Sometimes it's bigger than what we understand. And we have to get to a place where we acknowledge and accept that we don't have it all figured out and we won't have it all figured out. And that prophecy is not for the purpose of us knowing the future. Chapter 13, verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his, ten, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Okay, so this beast... It's more than just talking about like a person, although it can also be talking about a person, but we're really talking about a kingdom. That's why you have these ten horns and crowns, right? Kings, leaders. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan. Gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So whatever this beast is, it's empowered by Satan. And I saw on one of his heads that was wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. By the way, this does not necessarily mean what you read in um, the Left Behind series, that a man is shot in the head and then he resurrects from the dead. That's that's a long way to, to walk for this, okay? Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. So now we literally have Satan worship. Oh, let's worship the dragon who gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue for forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. So whoever this is, whatever this power is, it's going to really blaspheme God. Not only God, but 
It's going to blaspheme even the saints in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. All kindreds, all tongues, all nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So whatever this situation is, and I keep using, and the reason why I'm using it loosely is because it's unlike most people who teach Bible prophecy, I'm not coming at this with the assumption that I have it all figured out. That would be ridiculously ignorant. Could be talking about a man, could be talking about a beast, meaning a world government system, or both. We have to keep our minds open and stop with the pet doctrines. Then John says this, which just means pay attention. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. He's saying, listen, saints. The people who are doing what they're doing, this evil that they're getting away with, seemingly getting away with, they're leading people into captivity, they're killing. They're going to fall into those pits, right? Like, they're going to reap what they've sown. They're going to be put in captivity. They're going to be killed with the sword. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, but he spake as a dragon. So here's somebody who appears to be kind of Christ-like, but he speaks like Satan. And he exercises all power of the first beast before him, and he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's going to deceive this second beast. Many of people refer to this person as the false prophet or something like that. He's going to deceive the world by using miracles. Fire coming down from heaven. By the way, with the technology and stuff that we have today, putting holograms in the sky and all this madness, this would not be difficult. And people are easily deceived. Ridiculously easily deceived. It's painful how easily people are deceived. And he deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by the sword, and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would worship the image of the beast should be killed. By the way, this is why I've talked about watch out for artificial intelligence. We're already seeing article after article over the last five years of these religious-related things like a, a robot that, that gives wisdom and gives scripture, and these artificial technologies are getting absolutely bonkers. So it wouldn't be hard to imagine they make a robot, an, an artificial intelligence image of the beast that people worship 
and the, 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 this image has the power to speak and, and all those things. Like, that's not hard to believe anymore. I mean, here, let me just read you a couple of headlines. I'm so over time right now. Google's deep mind says it is close to achieving human-level artificial intelligence. Here's another headline. The first commercial brain-computer interface is now undergoing human trials. Next start. This is all from last week or so. A couple of weeks. Humans and robots are getting closer than ever through romance and relationships. Here's another one. This new implant hacks the brain by going through your chest. And on and on and on that conversation goes. Let me finish Revelation 13, and I know I'm leaving a lot of things unanswered and a lot of things unspoken about because we just don't have the, the time to deep dive it this morning. Uh, maybe we can dig in some more in another broadcast and get a little deeper into these things. Verse 15, and he had the power to give life into the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in, in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save that he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and the number is six hundred three score and six. By the way, it's just a fact that Nero, in the time of Rome, who was doing unspeakable evils to Christians. His name equaled 666 in Hebrew. Okay, that's just, it's just a historical fact. It's very possible that this was going, this letter going out to the seven churches included this information and they were making that connection at that time. It's not to say there won't be another connection, but we have to acknowledge these things. But here's what's interesting, and people try, you know, some people who take a view that this has already happened and none of it will happen again, they tend to talk about the mark of the beast as this document or something uh, that you had to have to buy or sell that had Nero's name and or the coins and things. But that's not what the scripture says, right? It says that he, this is the second beast, and this image thing causes all and it doesn't matter, rich or poor, free or bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Okay, so that's the first thing. It has to be in the right hand or in the forehead. But, but it does not say you have to have that mark to buy and sell. There's three things. No man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast, whatever that's going to mean, or the number of his name. So three different things here. Either way, it's some allegiance, form of worship to this beast. And unfortunately, right there is where I've got it ended. So I'll end by saying, I haven't backtracked when it comes to, I think artificial intelligence and genetic modification is going to play a big role in our, in our, in our time. And number two, I think it's very possible, unless there's a great revival that starts very soon, which might happen, it's very possible we're seeing the falling away right now. 
I hope that uh, this has caused you to at least hunger to draw in and look for more information. But be careful about all the YouTube prophets and the timelines and the charts and anyone who says, who gives you three minutes to kind of pique your interest and then says, now if you want to know the rest of this mystery, like I've got some special revelation that no one for 2,000 years has had, go to my website, subscribe, and then you can watch the whole video. Anybody hiding this stuff behind a paywall, I'd be very careful about those people. Be very careful about people who want you to pay before you get to hear what God has had to say. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.